Hi, I'm John Russell, editor of HPC Wire, and today we are going to talk with Tim Carroll, VP of Sales and Ecosystem at Cycle Computing. Tim, we've known each other for a few short months, but I know you've been at Cycle Computing for a bit over a year now. And I think roughly a year ago, we had our last podcast with you just after you joined Cycle. I'm hoping today we can tackle this idea that the time is right for cloud-based HPC. How does that sound? Uh, that sounds great. I really appreciate being able to be here and love talking about this stuff, obviously. I, I don't know if you um, caught this over the last week, but there was, of course, the National Strategic Computing Initiative is, is getting a lot of attention, at least at the high levels. And there was a panel at the White House uh, last week, I believe, but might have even been early this week. In any case, one of the uh, observations made by people at this workshop uh, where they were surprised at the explosive growth and scale of cloud computing at the higher end within HPC. And that contrasts with even two, three, four years ago when people were sort of saying, well, HPC in the cloud, how is it really going to work? So maybe we could start right off with, you know, why now? What is it? Um, what's changed? Why is cloud HPC becoming essential for so many people? Well, it, I think it, if you distill it down to its very essence, it's that what cloud, the dynamic that cloud changes and that people finally are getting their arms around is that it gives us the ability to fit the compute to the science or to the line of business as opposed to what traditionally it's been where the person with the workload was trying to figure out how to fit their problem to the compute that they knew that they had available. What cloud does is just blows the top off of that because it gives people access to, I don't want to say infinite, but I would say virtually unlimited resources to go try to figure out how to solve their problem, and then it's just the right mix of price performance and some of the other things that go into it. Um, so it's... I think you can get it down to basically simple supply and demand. The industry's done such a great job for the last 20 years of helping people understand how valuable these tools can be that now everybody's saying, yeah, you're right. And so the demand for compute and data is growing at a pace that's going to far outstrip the ability of people with conventional, traditional internal infrastructure to meet those demands. And so what cloud is, is it's just one more tool to help Grow the base. You know, I, I just to sort of follow up to that, uh, your recent announcement of work with um, Google and Broad, uh, where you were able to take a Broad genomics application, spin it up on 50,000 cores, I thought was an, an excellent example of how in the research community, and certainly within life sciences, that more and more people are looking to the cloud to sort of, just as you say, scale up or down um, complex jobs. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a there's a temptation, especially uh, amongst HPC folks, to think that a big job means lots and lots and lots of cores. But for most people out there, whether it's a researcher or a commercial entity, they define big in terms of the value of the output. Right. And big could just be 2,000 cores. But if you only have 500 cores available to you, then 2,000 cores is really, really big. And so what, one of the things that's happening now is, is that people are changing their perception of, of what big means. So when we talk about enabling people to do science that's bigger than they could ever do before, the 150,000 core stuff and even the 50,000 core stuff is really more corner case to what we do than the bread and butter work every day that's somewhere in the two to 8,000 core range, um, which a lot of people might even have in their internal infrastructure. 
But for various reasons, customers have decided to move that externally. And it's valuable to them, and it's valuable to the to the people who own the infrastructure, too. You know, one of the things about uh, the cloud is how do we how do we do it? You know, should we be trying to recreate what we have today in the cloud if you've got something in, inside internally? Or is there something unique uh, about the cloud proposition in the cloud environment? Um, how is HPC in the cloud different from what we do when it's an internal operation? Well, what cloud really does is that we give people more scale than they're typically accustomed to, but just as if not more importantly, at a lower entry point. And when I say lower entry point, I don't just mean lower cost point, but also just frictionless in terms of the ability to get in, try it, run the workload, and just as importantly, get back out. So if I go back over the last 15 years that I've been doing this, the, the, the two things that were the a bit of the holy grail for people who had internal infrastructure that they desperately wanted to be able to deliver to the users that they served is that they would love to be able to eliminate queue times and allow their users to just pay by the drink, as it were. Turn it on when they need it and turn it off when they don't. And that's what cloud gives people the ability to do. So we're not recreating anything. We're actually complementing what's there. And in doing so, we're adding some value that people haven't been able to, get to deliver to this point. So that's why I don't think it's an either-or proposition. It's both. And also, it seems like the ability to deploy flexible instances, such as spot instances at Amazon, and things like that, allow users to take advantage of the resource very economically. If it's a batch job that can tolerate interruptions, you can cut your costs significantly, and the tools to manage that process more efficiently are increasingly available. Yeah, and this goes back to the to the commercial um, commercial adoption of cloud, um, and and a lot of what um, NSCI is chartered with is already starting to happen. That the that they're embracing it, and a lot of users who are not traditional HPC users, they really think of this compute almost the same way that somebody looks at mailing a package. Right? If you're going to send a package via FedEx or UPS or USPS. Um, all you're concerned about is how big is it, when do I need it to be there, and how much is it going to cost me? And we're, pro we're providing the, the same service. right? That's, those are really the three big questions that the users ask, which is, um, okay, so how big a job can I run, or how, here's how big the job is, here's how long I would like for it to take, and here's roughly what I want to spend. Can I do it? And in most instances no pun intended, across <laughs> the multiple, multiple cloud providers, you can find a way to do that. And that's what's so different, but it's also what's causing the explosion that you were talking about, is, is, that, is that we're finally getting compute in the way that people like to buy every other thing that they do in order to do their job or conduct their research. Well, you know, the, um, your NSI, uh, NSCI reference is, is interesting because uh, there haven't been that many public conversations, but they have been a few, and at a recent one, one of the HPC user forums, uh, there was quite a bit of comment around the notion of HP as a service, and that really was going to be necessary to do the kind of democratization and spreading it out um, that is a goal. That's one of the goals within NSCI in helping maintain our leadership in advanced computing, but also our competitiveness, our economic competitiveness, and to use these tools. Um, does that make sense to you, this whole notion of uh, HPC um, as a service 
for um, for spreading this power and empowering the commercial side, particularly. Completely, and I think that the, what's really important and significant about that is that when we look back now, at what was it that was really the the germination and then the 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 point where Linux clusters really began to take off? It was when they were embraced by academic centers, right? Um, that the but for a variety of reasons, universities embraced commodity clusters and not just embraced them, but they figured out how to make them productive very, very quickly because it, it solved a lot of problems for them internally. And, and I think in a couple of years when we look back, we're going to say that the commercial, the, the pharmas, the financial services institutions, the manufacturers are going to have played much the same role in running HPC workloads in the cloud because they very quickly identified the value of it and they've embraced it and moved it to production very, very quickly. And in a lot of ways, for this particular tool set for the HPC community, I think that a lot of the, the innovation and a lot of the uh, progress is going to be generated with the commercial customers leading the way. Yeah, I think that's from you already, you're seeing things like container technology, for example, um, you know, migrating up to a higher end when, when the HPC world, which was not where it was born, you know, right. so it, it's interesting to watch that. You know, looking looking at the at the broad picture, it's clear that uh, cloud technology, cloud computing technology, cl um, cloud based HPC technology have all advanced uh, very rapidly. What technology issues do you see remaining? So. What are there? You know, what needs to be done to still make it a little bit more affordable, efficient, and easy to use? Are there remaining technology issues you can think of? I mean, I always think of the data of moving large data sets. Here we have, um, uh, in this case, Broad. Uh, you know, works with the genomic data sets are enormous. So, right. what do you see as as the remaining technical issues, and how will they be overcome? Yeah, there's there's two parts to the answer. The first is the to answer the question directly and pick one thing, it's really intelligently moving the data. Um, we're in an industry where a lot of times in the past we've been able to brute force a problem, um, but what we find that when it comes to moving data for the purposes of being able to do workloads in multiple places and collaborate and all those other things, you've got to move across networks of different bandwidth and firewalls and all the other pieces that go along with it. So it's not just a question of how do I move this one terabyte file. It could be a 100 gigabyte file um, that's not terribly hard to move because you've got the bandwidth, but you've got other things. And so it's really the focus is how do we do that intelligently? And so that's the one thing that you really, that people need to take a step back and they need to have a plan. Okay? They need to have their data management plan, but that's, they're going to need that with or without cloud just in moving if they're going to collaborate even off of internal infrastructure. So it's, it's the number one gating factor right now, which is why we've spent as much time as we have addressing that issues for customers, but that we've got lots of production customers who have addressed it. But there's a second part to that answer. And it's, again, this is, it's the old, um, you know, if you grew up at a big dinner table, like I, I did, you're allowed to make fun of your own family, uh, but you're not allowed to make fun of, nobody from outside the family can make fun of you. So, so we HPC people can make fun of ourselves. But one of the things that we love to do is we love to tackle the hardest problem first. Um, and so what happens is that when people talk about the technical barriers to running HPC on cloud, they immediately move to corner cases around 
ultra low latency and all of the things that you can't do on cloud. And that's not the point. The point is all the things that we can do today. So of all the workloads that are out there that are batch, that are serial, um, that are running on internal infrastructure, the goal shouldn't be how do I move my ultra low latency 300 terabyte job off of my internal infrastructure? You shouldn't. What you should be doing is taking the jobs that you can move today, move them off to create more room on the infrastructure that you've got that's specialized to be able to run the jobs that should stay there and, quite frankly, should never leave. And it, it just goes, again, to being part of it. If you think that if you approach cloud like people somehow think that cloud's going to replace everything, then there are a bunch of technical barriers to having that happen, and I'll go ahead and say that it will never happen. But if you look at cloud as a complement to the other technologies, there are actually relatively few barriers that we either um, aren't overcoming currently or won't in the next iteration or two of the technology. I mean, I think that one of the lessons uh, through technology history is just that, that while, while technology options change, very seldom does uh, something get completely displaced. And in this case, I think you're right. You know, it's going to... Uh, it will be very important, far more important than it is today, perhaps even dominant, but um, there will be lots of ways in which things get done. So you have a unique view of the cloud provider landscape, landscape excuse me. And uh, you know, I'd love to know what you think is going to happen there. So you know, we're here today. We have a few giants, of course, um, Google, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, who are doing a great job offering um, these services. How do you think the landscape of, of the providers is going to change? How will it segment itself out? Will there be fewer? Will there be more? Yeah. Will there be niche players? Um, I think, well, so if I were smart enough to figure all that, I'd probably be working <laughs> on Wall Street. <laughs> it's like computing. So I will, uh, I will defer to, uh, to other hedge fund managers and others to figure that out. But, but what I would say is that it's important to understand a fundamental difference between the, the, um, the active players in cloud HPC and the, the business that I came from and know very well, which is the infrastructure side of it. And that's that um, when I was running the business that, that I ran and we were one of the big three, that um, at the end of the day, there was not an enormous amount of differentiation between the actual platforms themselves, the x86 and the AMD servers that were, um, uh, that were, that went into the clusters that we sold to customers. Um, and as a result, what happened was, is that the, the industry was a very, very tough one because it became margin challenged and it was sometimes difficult to, to, to show value and differentiation. And the other things that you need to do, if you're going to be a solution provider in that space, what is awesome about cloud is that the, the cloud providers, and that includes all of them, from the, from the three big ones that we all know about to some of the smaller private organizations that are serving very specific markets, is that what they're able to do is that they're able to differentiate themselves with their offering. And so that if, if a user says, hey, here's my workload, and we go back to what I said before about being able to fit, that you find the compute that fits your science or fits your workload, that doesn't necessarily mean 150,000 cores. What it means is who's got the exact right instance type, right amount of memory, right number of cores, is it GPGPUs, um, what's the network topology, all of those other things. What's great is that the way that the 
cloud providers are differentiating themselves is through those platforms and the instances that they offer. And so that then the customer, where the customer's really going to get their value, as opposed to shrewd negotiation with their cluster provider, what they're really going to be able to get their value is to run the right workload on the right instance, regardless of which cloud provider it is that's supplying it. And so when you set up a market dynamic where the, the people who are supplying the solution are really just complete competing based on the value that they have and the level of service that they provide, that's fantastic for the customer. And it's pretty cool to be at those cloud providers too. So that's what I think, that's why I think this is going to be a fun place to work for a while. Um, I think you're right in the sense that um, it's not really clear. It should be many flavors, not just one. And sort of the reality of heterogeneous computing means that there are lots of options to choose for where and how you run your workload. Well, and I think that there's another, there's a, there's a subtle point in there, but it's really important if you're the center director who has to make a $12 million decision in terms of a platform that you're going to buy. We spent the last 15 years with people having to make really, really difficult infrastructure decisions because they were going to have to buy a forward-looking technology that may or may not even be shipping yet, and then they're going to have to live with that for five years. So they were very, very risky buys in terms of, am I getting the right platform to serve my user base? And then the other thing is, is that who knows what your user base is going to look like four years from now. The great thing that the cloud providers do is that they shoulder all of that risk. And so now if you're a center director, you have the ability to allow the cloud providers to take on a lot of that risk in terms of uh, adopting and implementing new technologies. And so you actually have the chance to try a bunch of these technologies in production before making a broader technical buy. So I think it's going to completely change the dynamic of how the decisions are made for both cloud and infrastructure buys. Um, but I think it all plays to the advantage of the center directors if they have a mix of both. You know, we really haven't talked much about cycle computing, and you've been there, as we've said, for more than a year now. Maybe you could talk a bit about what's new. As I understand it, over the last couple of years, cycle has transitioned from building infrastructure to being all in with the cloud. Maybe give us an update. Well, it's a, it's a really exciting time because you know, cycle's been around for eight years. Uh, and and Jason Stowe and Rob Futrick and the whole crew that have been building, and I would really say building to this moment, because I, I can tell you, it's hard to be a visionary. Um, and the cycle saw an opportunity here in 2007, um, and the, that entire time has been building this suite of products that intelligently moves data, does all the other things that need to do, and the nice thing is, is that this year, I think this year especially, is the year that everybody, it doesn't mean that everybody has to say, okay, we're going all cloud. But I think this is the first year that every organization, commercial, public, university, government, whatever it is, says, okay, you know, this is now really the time to evaluate this and evaluate it as the third platform um, that we're going to have. And so we're just really excited about what 2016 is going to bring and gearing up um, to be involved in all of those conversations. Great, great sort of summary uh, and discussion around all of the issues uh, affecting HPC in the cloud and how we can better use it, what adopters can expect. I think I had one last question on my on my list here, which is, okay, so let's say you are wanting to do it. You are wanting to make the plunge into the cloud environment and reap all the benefits of flexibility and cost uh, at the high end 
in terms of uh, the kind of job and workflows. What's a simple piece of advice for people testing the waters? <laughs> this is actually one of my favorite things about cloud and working at Cycle is that the best way to test the waters is to dive in. Um, and um, because, and, and everybody always says that. No life but, preserve is needed? But, well, <laughs> not really, because nobody's saying throw anything out, right? Nobody's saying, hey, uh, all you need to do is spend $100,000 on a test system to go figure out whether or not you want to spend $5 million. Um, that what we what we have the ability to do is once once we've identified or even or once somebody has identified that they've got a workload that lends itself well to running on one of the cloud providers, um, you can very quickly get that workload up and running, not just in a test dev environment, but ultimately in what would be the production environment that it's running in. So there's a very very low cost of test and entry. With virtually no risk, because you're not even using you're not even using up cycles that could be used on the production machine somewhere else. This is in its own space. Um, but then also the the product of that pilot is going to be exactly what you need to know as to whether or not this is something that you want to go do. And so of all of this, the technologies that I've done even before HPC for the last twenty years with web hosting and all the other pieces, this is the the lowest or the most frictionless entry point to being able to find out if something could be really, really valuable to your organization of anything that I've ever done. And so, you know, my my guidance, whether it's with us or anybody, my guidance is to anybody who's thinking, hey, you know, we probably ought to give this a try, is that there's no reason not to try it tomorrow. You don't need to, to take six months to figure out. You can take two weeks and know. You know, we should do another another of these and talk more around the enterprise uh, world and how how it's going to try and use these um, higher end technologies through cloud based access. But today we're kind of we're kind of running out of time, and uh, I know I appreciate everything you've uh, all the time you've spent so far. I was kind of hoping you might just sort of remind us. We were talking earlier about your experience at Dell and how at SC. Uh, a few years ago, Michael <laughs> Dell presented his, you know, projections that were basically shouted down, and yet yes. again they've turned out correct. So uh, maybe you could just sort of uh, recap that for us because it's a great lesson. Yeah, it's it's um, uh, it's funny you bring that up, and, and I'm actually glad you did because it's uh, it was a uh, it's a proud moment for all the people that were involved in that uh, back then and now. But I believe that was 2008. Um, that SC was last in Austin, and and Michael gave the mm -hmm. the keynote, um, and uh, very much in keeping with with how Michael has viewed everything he's ever done, he talked about we really need to democratize HPC. Our goal is to help get more compute in the hands of more researchers, um, and for that particular crowd, I, I'm not sure that they quite understood what the message was because there was a lot of, well, you know, this isn't real HPC or whatever some of the, the rumblings were. But if you fast forward to what was accomplished um, at Dell over the period following that, um, that, you know, Dell moved from, from being you know, number three or number four in that space to then really being an industry leader. And it was built entirely around rather than top 500 placement, it was really built around how to get more computed into more people's hands. And I think that this is just one more extension of that. And so it's great to be going back to Austin um, and, and just to keep that 
going. And it's great to see what, what Dell has accomplished and, and really use that as a springboard into what the rest of the industry is capable of doing when you make a conscious decision to focus on making things more, readil more readily available to more people. Nothing bad ever happens. Only good things. And so we're looking forward to more good things. And, and it's also nice to be right and be able to say, hey, we were right. Yes. And it's also really nice when somebody like you says, hey, you were right, rather than me having to say, hey, we were right. So I very much appreciate you filling in the blanks. Um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for your time. Today we were speaking with Tim Carroll, who is the Vice President of Sales and Ecosystem at Cycle Computing. And if you uh, are you having a, a presence at SC, perhaps if I know that we'll be running our podcast both before and after, but um, any you know, we will be there in, in accordance with our belief that this is really the year we are going to have a very large presence there because our goal is is that um, you know we want to be the place that for everybody who's coming to supercomputing in Austin to say I've got to start getting my strategy together around uh, HPC in the cloud. Um, we want to be the information education resource for that. So we'll be there in a big, big way. Great. Thank you for your time, Tim. We'll have to do this again. Hey, thanks, John. Talk to you soon. <laughs>